The question I get asked the most is, how did you go from point A to point N? <laughs> and I'm very honest about the fact that it took some steps. I didn't move as quickly as I wanted to, and I didn't always take one big step after another. There's always an opportunity to do something new and different. And as you gain your skill set and if you build your network, different doors open for you. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Suchi Srinivasan. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. I hope you all had a fantastic holiday season. I want to start this episode with a little update about the show. After two and a half amazing seasons of In Her Element, Corinne has moved on to bigger and better things outside of BCG. This show would not have been possible without her dedication, and I'm going to miss hosting with her so very much. But I won't be doing it alone, and I'll be introducing my new co-host very soon. This week, I'm speaking with Deanna Lanier, Chief Strategy Officer at iCertis. iCertis is a contract management company that has been leveraging AI for their clients since 2018. Deanna didn't have a conventional route into tech leadership. She's had to do the dance that many women do around balancing career and family. She's often asked by young women whom she encounters how to overcome decision paralysis. Here's my conversation with Deanna. I'm Deanna Lanier, and I serve as Chief Strategy Officer for a growing technology company called iCertis. Now, you started your journey back in sales, and can you tell us a little bit about how you started out, what that part of your career was like, and what got you excited primarily about tech? Well, this goes back several years, but it was quite fortuitous that one of my undergraduate friends actually landed a role at IBM. And so when she landed that role, she asked me if I'd be interested in coming on board as an in inside sales leader. I said, of course, great. But that really was an entrance for me into the tech arena because shortly after I got a great opportunity for an outside sales role for a tech publishing company. And this was back in the days when things were just getting started in Silicon Valley, Windows 95 was getting ready to launch. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> independent bookstores were still there, but the big box retailers were coming in. And we started seeing this different mode of work because of the fast and rigorous technology sector coming to life. Wow. It's been probably an incredible journey for you going from that type of sales role to all the way to this leadership space that you now have, where you're defining strategy for this exciting company. How did you end up here? How did you make the leap? What were some of those highlights of that trip? And I'm sure it came with its own fair share of challenges. So unpack it a little bit for us. So when I was in that sales role in that computer book publishing company, and then later into working with some systems integrators, and then following that Microsoft, I did learn that leadership is more than about managing people. And 
I took some time over those years that I was not necessarily in an executive leadership role to really define what leadership meant for me. And it was more about making a distinction between leading people versus leading initiatives to really uncovering what leadership meant. And one of the challenges that I faced early on is in a sales career, the next step was really sales management. So having finding that right role for sales management proved to be quite challenging for me. So I started looking more broadly about how can I build leadership skills around impact and influence? How can I get different types of experiences besides the sales experience to really build my leadership calls? And so I spent quite some time taking a different approach from just elevating and sales leadership in my own company to actually leaving and going into management consulting, getting an advanced degree that really helped round out some of the areas that I wanted to grow my competencies. That ultimately led to other experiences, finally managing people, leading large initiatives that eventually brought me to the chief strategy officer role. Deanna, I think you did something there in your career where you acted on something that essentially was a leap of faith. I'm trying to uncover how you marshaled the courage at presumably an earlier stage of your career to do that. It definitely takes courage, but building that confidence and building that courageousness, it takes time, it takes mentorships, it takes failing and picking yourself back up especially when you're navigating a career at a time when you may have young children, there's life events happening. And so building your confidence, you build it, and then some days you just, you don't know where it went, right? <laughs> like, where did the confidence go? And so ensuring that you continue to surround yourself with a network of people who can take you through some of those times, I think is really important for one, I think the network of women that I've had in my life, those micro networks of small groups where we get together and talk about just what's happening in our personal lives and our professional lives, and then having those broader, bigger network safe havens that you can talk about career progression, you can talk about macro impacts to women in the workforce. I think those are really important. But my family has also been a great supporter of me in my career as well. So there were times when my husband and I had to switch off working with the children or one year someone had to lean in a bit more to help in areas of our household. So that has also served as a great opportunity and support mechanism for my career. In regard to confidence, that has been one, I think we all struggle at times. There are times when we have great confidences in the knowledge that we have, the knowledge that we're able to share, the roles that we are in, but I think it's really tested when we may have to adapt to a new culture or there may be a shift in the business that requires us to do something we've never done before. So confidence can wane at times, it can strengthen at times, and that's, that's when I fall back on many of the attributes that have been consistent for me. I would say honesty, integrity, being a lifelong learner. Those are types of competencies that sustain you through these tough times. 
I love how you framed it as micro networks and then the larger networks and you unpack all of this with them. Let's shift gears a little bit now to iCertis. Tell us what iCertis does and we'll take it from there. Yes, and I think many are familiar with the concept of contract lifecycle management, CLM. And iCertis is one of the leaders in CLM. And we've become, even now, the pioneers of contract intelligence. So that involvement of companies and enterprises looking at where can I, how can I build a contract repository to how can I make business decisions based on the contracts from contract creation, negotiation, making sure that you've received the obligations of the contract that you put in place. Those are part of contract intelligence attributes that now iCertis is really the AI leader in making sure that companies are able to see the value in contracting. Tell us about the role that AI plays in iCertis business. Very significant. And iCertis has had an AI platform for many years, since 2018. However, we've seen AI evolve to now Gen AI, and Gen AI is is such an imperative in contracting. As an enterprise needs to orchestrate and take actions on a contract, AI provides those insights and actions, and it really helps us helps the company save time, reduce friction in the business processes. But we also need to think about how do we enable our customers to do that uh, securely and responsibly. In addition, I would say that, and part of my role as chief strategy officer has been amazing because I get to look at or work with a lot of our technology ecosystem. In particular, I've been working quite closely with Microsoft as we're leveraging Azure OpenAI service. So I've had a front seat to iCertis's vision around AI, how we've moved these proprietary AI models that we've developed over the past four years, focusing on the iCertis data lake because we have access to more than 2 billion contract metadata and transactional elements from over 10 million contracts. So that's a lot of data, and it's a lot of opportunity to leverage generative AI. Let's come back to your role as CSO and the role model space that you occupy, especially for younger women earlier in their career. You've said now, newly hired women CSOs have the opportunity and important responsibility to support and advance other women in pursuing leadership roles like the CSO title. That's something that you've stated. Why is this important to you? It's very important. And as I began this role, and although I have assumed some of the typical chief strategy officer responsibilities, I think we also have a responsibility to foster collaboration across all levels of the business and really infusing that diversity of thought. Because that diversity of thought uh, can be reflected across all of the decisions that we make as an organization. And that's why I think it's very important that more women step into technology leadership roles and we have a keen responsibility to support them. You know, I look back at my career and I think about experiences where I could have leaned in more especially in the early days when there were so few women in the technology arena. Sometimes it was just a lot just to keep your head above water. 
But even in those times, we have a responsibility to support the women who are coming through because they're going to be our future. And if we want to change the statistics, and I was just looking at one today, 22% of AI professionals are female, only 22%. That comes from a MIT source an article that they presented, I think, over the past couple of months. But we, j- we still have so much work to do. But I think a lot of that work, we can support as women leaders to give women at our organizations, even outside of our organization, more of a, a voice and an opportunity and trust that they have the skill set to be able to do the work. Because traditionally, I think that women they sometimes don't take the chances and they they risk they they take a risk assessment of taking on a new role or a new challenge in a very different way than men and sometimes it holds them back from actually taking the leap of faith where they could be very um very successful so in terms of ai more generally sort of putting that as a full circle now What do you think younger people in the workforce can do today to get themselves ready for this career? Because this is now so prevalent everywhere. I've spoken to women many times about my career trajectory and being in the technology arena. And it doesn't always have to be led from an engineering standpoint. I think that there's other functions and other places where women can start a career that ultimately brings up them into tech leadership. As you know, AI is so pervasive, Gen AI is so pervasive. It's a top priority for, if you think functionally at an organization, just not in product development or engineering. So I would say that's a great opportunity for us to think more broadly about career development. I also think that any time that we can present or support women in VCs, women who are starting their own companies or their own funds, AI skills, I think, are so important for all women to embrace and thinking about how can they bring AI into their current roles, I think is important. I think also that the women who want to change responsible AI, uh, gender bias in AI, We have a great opportunity to do that. I can't say that we are there and we have a solve for it, but the more women who really stand up and want to be part of AI in their own companies or even study this as a topic, if they're still in universities, I think will go a long way. You know, you're very involved in uh, women and technology-related activities, such as this participation in entrepreneurship classes, at the University of Washington Foster School of Business, at WIT, Women in Tech, and then also the ISERDIS Network of Women. You're seeing a lot of young women everywhere who are interested in tech, who are trying entrepreneurship. What do you get asked most often by this cohort of women, if you will? The question I get asked the most is, how did you go from point A to point N? And I'm very honest about the fact that it took some steps that did not go as quickly as I wanted to. I didn't move as quickly as I wanted to, and I didn't always take one big step after another. Sometimes it took a lateral approach to go back and to learn more, to 
be part of a family situation at the time. I give them this advice to say, it's never too late to reinvent yourself. And just because you have decided to go in one direction with your career or you've made certain choices, you're not locked in. There's always an opportunity to do something new and different. And as you gain your skill set and if you build your network, different doors open for you. We've heard from many of our guests over their careers that being in their role as a senior leader, they often end up being the only woman in the room. Yes. And that this can generate feelings of isolation. All of this, by the way, gets, we think, magnified in the tech industry, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the way the culture is. Is this something, firstly, that you have experienced in your career? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even early days, even in early in my tech sales career and going to a client site and you're with your colleagues and you're the only woman there or going into the team meeting and you're the only woman there. Now, over time, you learn to adapt, you learn to adjust, you learn how to bring your voice. But think about someone who's just getting started in their career, how fearful that is and how, and it goes back to this confidence or maybe they're afraid to say something in the meeting because they, they feel like, oh, I might say the wrong thing or I might bring the wrong idea to the table. So that's one, that's another challenge that I hear from younger women leaders as well. Deanna, can you lay out for us what has changed when you're in these situations now, as I'm sure you undoubtedly are, how do you feel now and how do you handle them now? I handle them with more confidence, for sure, just because of my years in the business. I am also conscious of what culture I put myself into. So I want to be in a culture, which I am today, of of a team and leadership that respects diversity of thought. And more importantly, I think if you're in client service or dealing with anyone outside of your organization, They almost expect that now. So companies are a reflection of how they think about the makeup of diversity in the company is a reflection of how they make decisions and what they deem valuable. And when I'm in situations now, I'm able to be more conscious about what dynamic might be happening in the room. I have the opportunity to bring other women into the decision-making. If I believe or anyone else believes that this person who hasn't been invited to the table actually has a great corpus of knowledge on this, why don't we bring them into the decision-making? And I think companies are starting to look more deeply about uh, looking more deeply at their decision-making frameworks And part of the decision-making frameworks, do we have the diversity of thought? Do we have the voice of uh, multiple stakeholders in the organization? So I do feel that it's moving in the right direction. We just like it to move faster. Let's shift gears to talk about life events. The theme that we want to explore a little bit with you is these life events and how they may or may not show up on your LinkedIn profile, which is sort of the embodiment of our professional careers. First of all, maybe you can start us off by saying, how do you define what a life event is? Yes. I think a a life event could have a different definition for different people. Something that 
consumes your mind, your energy, your passion, and not in a negative way. It could be something negative, maybe an illness in the family, but it could something be very positive, like your spouse has a great opportunity, or you have a, a child coming into the world, or your son or daughter just got accepted to the university. It's anything that is, to me, outside of the work realm. Yeah. If you're comfortable sharing with us, could you speak a little bit about how some of these life events have interacted with your career? As you you probably know this, Suchi, but I've made a lot of family moves due to my career aspirations. And I've moved from East Coast to West Coast, back and forth several times for my career and taking the family along with me. So sometimes that comes with a level of guilt, especially when you do those things in the children's younger years and as they get older and they're teenagers, then you question, well, maybe I shouldn't have made that decision. So I think what doesn't go away as a, as a mother is this constant questioning, am I doing the best that I can for my family? And am I, am I providing them the best opportunities? So that, that doesn't really go away. So that brings another level of uh, <laughs> stress. It's a very nuanced point what you're making, right? There's sort of the very black and white point around when you have young children or you're going through sort of that type of a life phase, there's the recognition that you've not had a night's sleep and you're still showing up at work. And so there's a very physical toll. Yes. But I think if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is the responsibilities don't go away. They just morph. They just change in nature. The workload also commensurately changes yes. to perhaps not be as physical, but then it becomes mental. And these things all impact how you show up at work, maybe what opportunities you're raising your hand for or not raising your hand for, and whether mm -hmm. you speed up or slow down and do that sort of dance with one's professional career, right? I think the dance is a great way to put it because I think that the dance just changes. There's always a dance, but maybe you're doing the <laughs> foxtrot one day, maybe you're doing the cha-cha the next day. It's definitely a dance, and it's one that I choose a career and I choose family, and I'm okay with that. But I want to bring the best of myself to both. If you could reflect back at your career and tell us about a time when you felt in your element? There's been a couple of times, I have to say, depending on what was driving me and what was energizing me at the time. I would say early on in my sales career, when I was landing the big deals and it, it was so fun and just celebrating those, that's when I felt like I was really in my element. As I continued to grow as an adult and as a mom, and then as, as a professional, I was in my element when I felt like I did a great job at work that week, but I was able to enjoy my family on the weekend. I treasure my family dinner time. So now being in my element is coming home on a, especially on the weekends, I love cooking and just getting out the recipe books, going to the market, buying all these great exotic ingredients and making something really different and delicious for the family and we all enjoy it, that's another place where I feel like I'm in my element. That was my conversation with Deanna. 
You know, there were several reflections that I had from this conversation. The first point was around confidence, how to gain it, how to display it, how to use it. And I think it was really important to hear from Deanna that confidence is acquired over time. Not everyone feels confident all the time, but then to really lean into sometimes the feeling of discomfort and be able to sort of speak up. And it, it's almost that's the way that you grow your confidence. That was a really important sort of unpacking that she did about how to grow that muscle. I think the second thing that was really helpful almost as a framework was this notion of life events. Life isn't like a plain, flat, boring old road that just goes on steadily, right? It's punctuated by these events and they cause shifts in our energies across what we do at work and across our personal life and the energies that's required. And those are shared experiences. We all have versions of those experiences. And I think having that framework of this is a life event that I'm experiencing at this moment and therefore I'm going to shift my energies this way, that's a very helpful framework for us to be able to allow ourselves to dedicate where we need to focus our time and energy on. And then, of course, I, I think it was really helpful to hear her almost reiterate what we've heard many other guests say as well about this responsibility that senior women carry to nurture other young leaders, right? That it's a generational mentoring and sponsorship to be able to make sure that we carry this torch forward. Well, that's all for today. This has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Join us next time to hear more meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. Thank you so much for listening.